What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 149. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? I love mom. <laughs> uh, I love it. It's great. This is such a cool and fun set. It is so refreshing. I am stoked to talk about it. Let's get right into it. Well, before we do, of course, our usual housekeeping. Check out the Discord if you're not already in it. The best place to be to chat all things MTG with the Chaficionado community. We've got tons of trophies popping off. People are discussing picks left and right. And of course, there are all sorts of other channels to keep you uh, involved in the community. You can check that out. The link is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chat pod. Huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. We are beyond grateful for all of you. Thank you so much. Perks over there include things like our draft doctor series, stickers, show notes, our pre-show recordings, and our draft chaff hero card signed by us and sent to you. Again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. All right, onto our cracker draft type thing. Of course, this week we are opening a mom pack, and it looks like it's not a pack one pick one. What's going on? We actually have a pack one pick two here. Uh, this was an interesting choice that, that I came across, so I thought I'd share it with the listener and see what anyone else would have done in my situation. So pack one, pick one, I slammed Invasion of Alara, which shouldn't really surprise anyone. That's the uh, the battle that cost Wooburg. Uh, so five mana, it has seven defense, which is pretty high, but when it enters the battlefield, exile cards on the top of your library until you exile two non-land cards with mana value four or less. You may cast one of those two cards without paying its mana cost, put one of them into your hand, then put the other exiled this way on the bottom of your library in a random order. So that's a little strange, that last clause, because it doesn't usually happen. What this card tends to do is you get to cast like the creature that you hit uh, or that maybe even a different battle or something, uh, and then you get to put the other card in your hands. I guess it's phrased this way in case you, you know, hit two counter spells or something and something starts getting strange with the stack. Now, if you well, flip it puts, this, it puts all the cards that you exiled that way back on the bottom. So if you exile like half your deck, you put them all back. Oh, yeah. Maybe if there's like an effect that ever whenever you would exile one card or exile two cards, you exile X plus one cards. Uh, I guess it's future proof like that. Now, if you get to flip it to the back, you get to awaken the maelstrom with some gnarly art. It's a sorcery. It says awaken the maelstrom is all colors. Target player draws two cards. You may put an artifact card from your hand onto the battlefield. Create a token that's a copy of a permanent you control. Distribute three plus one plus one counters among one, two, or three creatures you control. Destroy target permanent an opponent controls. And yes, that can be lands. I have often made it lands. Uh, if you get to cast the back, it's obviously fantastic. Um, it's, it's card advantage. It pays you off. You add to your board. You shrink your opponent's board or lands. Uh, and you get to buff up some of your creatures too. Uh, I think the only thing I haven't done with this yet is put an artifact card from your hand onto the battlefield. That's that's probably not going to happen, but this card is fantastic. So I take this pack one, pick one. Now, uh, pack one, pick two. Let's see what would be good to follow this up with. Right out the bat, we have a pretty solid contender in Swiftwater Cliffs. That's the blue-red gain lands. I'm a big fan of gain lands in this format. Uh, I've been taking them pretty highly. Yeah, especially with an invasion of Alara, I guess you kind of go into a mode where you're like almost... Pick, jumping them up your pick order because you got to be able to cast that thing. Yeah, it's not the easiest thing in the world to cast. Next, we got a war train slasher. That's the format of four, three with uh, menace. And when it attacks a battle, you double its power. I'll be honest. I don't play a lot of four drops in this format. Uh, this, this format tends to be, you play a bunch of good two drops. Some of them have good activated abilities like the transform ones that often cost three or four mana with or without Phyrexian stuff. Uh, in there and then you have convoke cards which sometimes you you know do around turn four like the counter spell maybe you pass with two creatures and four lands open or you play a two drop and then you're able to uh cast the divination with convoke so uh, i i usually end up cutting most of my fours and this is certainly one of those that i would tend to cut next up we've got moment of truth sad because it's a cool flavor card but i haven't really found a good need for like an anticipate type effect in this format. If I played like a, a solid blue-black control deck, then I could see wanting this. Uh, maybe even if you were splashing, you might want it more if there were certain uh, like high-impact bombs that you were looking to dig through. But uh, I, I have not cast this card yet. Maybe I will. Yeah, I don't really think it has a home in this format, to be honest with you. There are way better things you'd rather be doing for two mana in this format. And this does kind of feel like a two a turn two format. Like if you're not doing something on turn two, it feels like you're you get pretty far behind pretty quickly. It doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. mean you're going to lose, but it's fairly indicative of that. And moment of truth just doesn't actually do anything. Yeah. I feel like I'm 
happy playing something on between turns two and three. If I pass on turn two with a kill spell and a three drop in hand and they don't play something that's like worth killing, I don't know. I don't feel too bad about it. Uh, As long as I'm hitting the board, like, and starting to get my game plan going, because Convoke is a big part of this format. uh, And if you're not, you know, playing creatures, how are you convoking? You know, it's not a big part of this format. Kite Sail. I've not seen this card do anything. I I had an opponent cast it once and I was like, yes, (laughs) they're going to waste a bunch of mana and it's not going to be on, you know, good activated abilities. So... Uh, not a big there are a few sale. good equipment in this format there are a few that you want to put in decks so that you're okay playing in decks kite sail is not one of them next up we've got an iridescent blade master uh one and a green for the two two and you can pay four to give it plus two plus two i've actually put this in a few decks uh funny enough the deck that we're drafting currently i wound up with two copies in it and spoiler alert, i did end up playing five color uh, alara so uh, i actually played two copies of this i found that in a deck like mine that was just going super big uh, on just lands, just ramping out a ton of mana. Uh, this was actually a pretty solid card. Like I wasn't happy. I wasn't unhappy to top deck this in the late game because unlike a lot of these effects, that is not bound to once per turn. Uh, I actually could uh, sometimes pump this two or even three times, uh, in which case it's a pretty formidable attacker. Uh, pretty decent at, at threatening to flip battles too. But also you just trade it off in the early game, uh, especially in a deck like mine where it was base green, so easy enough to cast. And then just trying to survive until the late game. So I I was pretty happy with this one, but it's not a high pick or anything. Next up, we've got a final flourish. One of the black. This is the one with kicker. You can sack a creature or artifact. Uh, Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. Or if it was kicked, minus six, minus six until end of turn. Fantastic removal spell. Yeah, I've loved this. Every time I've seen it played, I've I've thought it was pretty solid. There's a less solid removal spell, Disturbing Conversion. That's the one of the blue. Uh, ETB, each player mills two. And uh, the enchanted creature gets minus X, minus O. Where X is the number of cards in its controller's graveyard. So at least minus two, minus O. Usually more. Uh, I don't know. It's it's whatever. I haven't played it. It's usually better things. Don't play it. Yeah, I don't like this card. We've got a Bola Slinger. Three and a white. Two, two. Backup one. This is the one that taps down something when it attacks. Uh, and, you know, the backed up creature can do the same. It's fine. I've played it in a couple white backup decks, but... You know, again, it's a four drop and the, I'm, I'm pretty low on those in this format. So I'm not super happy with a four mana two, two. You know, if you space those letters out slightly differently, you get bolus linger. I wonder if they're uh, <laughs> trying to drop something here. Oh, man, that's a conspiracy. <laughs> uh, next up, we've got Alabaster Host Intercessor. Uh, who's going to come in and exile this ridiculous notion that Zach has. <laughs> Get this junk <laughs> out of here. Uh, yeah, this thing is a really solid common. Uh, I mean, it's it's it, it's a banisher priest, right? And it's a common and it's a plain cycler. What more could you ask for? Uh, the white decks, you know, they don't always care about hitting, you know, their fourth, fifth, sixth land drop to cast this. But, you know, it's still cycles. So it's always going to be pretty solid. Uh, I tend to like it more in like the big Obzon decks where, I don't know, maybe you're doing weird mana stuff or you actually might be casting this pretty pretty regularly, uh, but it, it's just solid overall. It's also pretty great to help facilitate splashes if you just need to splash white. Um, pretty much all of these land cyclers have been pretty good in this format. I, I rarely yeah. cut them. Yeah, also they're all natural combos with Emoti, Celebrant, the Bounty, <laughs> one of my favorite cards in the set. Uh, and last common here for us, it's Aetherblade Agent. That's the one of the black 1-1 one, one death touch, and you can pay four and a Phyrexian blue to flip it into a 3-3 three, three death touch. Whenever it hits an opponent or battle, I believe, you draw a card. I'm a big fan of this one. Yeah, super solid two drop. And especially in a deck like the one that you would theoretically be crafting for Invasion of Alara, where you probably need to slow things down, just have uh, ways to keep your opponent from killing you too quickly before you can get the mana available to cast the evasion. Um, Eighth Blade Agent's going to do that. So pretty solid two drop. We have a lot of good options here. What are you looking at in the comments so far for this uh, this invasion of Alara deck? Yeah, not a huge fan of the, the blue cards we've seen. I mean, Swift, Swiftwater Cliffs actually is up there in terms of pick order for me with the, oh, yeah. with the evasion of Alara. I think it's a great one to support that card. Um, Final Flourish and Aetherblade Agent are probably next up for me. I don't mind taking removal early. Um, yeah, I don't. I think I might actually just take the Swiftwater Cliffs here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pretty close in that pick order. I think I'd go Flourish, then Cliffs, then Agent, uh, and then a big gap, and then like Alabaster Host Intercessor, uh, and the Blade Master, and the, the conversion is kind of on Vector, but it's whatever. Uh, let's see if we can edge out some of these with some uncommons. 
Uh, first up, we have Streetwise Negotiator. This is the one of the green, zero two, backup one. This creature deals combat damage with its toughness instead of its power. This is kind of an inexplicable uncommon. I don't really understand why it's in this set. And they need to check the box of having a, a big butts card, I guess. Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, this isn't even draft half cube worthy. Like, we have better ways to do this in the cube. I, I've seen this being played on turn two as just a two mana three three. And that's fine. You know, if you're like playing a, a red green deck and you just want to start getting in early. But even then, it's it's flexible, but it's just not great. Yeah. We've got Jury Master of the Review. That's the one in the red 1-1. One, one. Whenever you sacrifice another permanent, you put a 1-1 one, one counter on it. And then when it dies, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. I actually had Jury Master of the Review in a really solid black-red deck. I had the Uncommon that lets you sack things to draw cards. So uh, I got this thing pretty big, and it was it was a scary card once it... uh. You know, once it started churning, but there's not as many ways for you to sacrifice things as you might think. Um, yeah, I don't know, just be a little careful with that. You could sacrifice things like treasure to it, though. Yeah, I think you just put jury in any deck that can cast it. Um, I don't really see it being bad in any black red deck. There are still plenty of ways to get uh, those sack effects going if you are trying to build your deck to do so. So funny enough, I actually played in a mirror match with that black red deck. My opponent had out a jury master of the review, and I was about to cast Invasion of Asgol, uh, which is the uh, siege that makes your opponent sacrifice a creature. So I actually didn't <laughs> because it would have let them ping down my, my strong X one. I think I had like a, oh, I know I had the, the sacrifice thing without any counters on it yet. So yeah, it was uh, a little bit awkward there, but you know, jury, it does just go in any black red deck. Next up, we've got Halo Forager. Uh, this is the one blue-black for the 3-1 flyer. That's a Snapcaster Mage, kinda. Uh, it, it actually is different in a notable way. When it ETBs, you pay X, and then you can free cast something from either graveyard that costs uh, X. Uh, this is a little bit worse than Snap in that you can't target like a, a Convoke spell and then reconvoke it with other creatures. You have to actually pay the X and then cast that much less. So the Meeting of the Minds, for example, the 4-mana Divination with Convoke, uh, you have to actually pay X equals four to cast that from the graveyard. So uh, that being said, there's plenty of good two matter removal spells. Uh, there's the, uh, what is it? The not fire prophecy. <laughs> there's also the final uh, flourish. Volcanic spite, yeah. Yeah, the spite. Uh, even the final flourish too. Uh, that's a pretty natural combo with, with the forager. Uh, even the blue bounce spells are, are pretty solid with this. Yeah, I, I, also it is a three mana, three one flyer. Uh, this card has been fantastic for me. Yep, I rarely find myself not wanting it if I can cast it. And um, to your point, there have even been, there have even been some games where I just play it on three or four without really having the ability yeah. to cast anything from the graveyard. And it just performs very well. I mean, a three, one flyer in this format is really good. Flyers are fantastic yeah, in this yeah. format. Chips away at battles. It's blue and black for a lot of the best convoke spells. They're just really strong. Maybe a potential draft chaff cube inclusion. I mean, imagine flickering this and with a with like a sorcery, and then it comes back in. You get to recast the flicker spell. Ooh, man! You won't see me complaining. Last but not least, we have Furnace Rains. That's the tuna red. It's the turn against effect, except when the creature that you stole hits them, uh, you get a treasure. So you know this is pretty clearly for the black red deck. Even in a black red deck, I had the option of taking this or like a final flourish. I just take the final flourish, like. You'll know when you want this, and it is exactly in black, red, sack. Uh, and it's when you have a bunch of good sacrifice outlets, too. Actually, like Final Flourish. So that's the pack. It looks like the person to our right took whatever rare mythic was in this pack uh, regularly. Jury Master the Review was our uh, uh, multiverse legend. So um, what are you looking at now, now that we've seen our uncommons? Yeah, um, I pretty much just ignore Furnace Reigns, given that we've got the, the Invasion of Alara to start. Uh, it's a phenomenal card in the decks that want it, but like you said, there really is only one deck that really wants this card. Some decks can make it work, but like really it's Black Red that, that absolutely wants it. Jury is fine, but also kind of I don't see Jury playing well in a deck that is going to do well with Invasion of Valara. So if we wanted to try to make that rare or mythic really work very well for us, uh, Jury's probably not one to have a high synergy with it. That said, I mean, the commons that we talked about earlier, Final Flourish, Aether Blade Agent, again, the Swiftwater Cliffs, I think are all phenomenal picks of maybe not phenomenal, but they they work nicely with uh with the shards of uh, with the invasion of Alara. But those colors kind of overlap with Halo Forager, and Halo Forager is a pretty phenomenal card in and of itself. And actually, I wouldn't mind just taking Halo Forager and ignoring the invasion of Alara and building a deck around Forager, and then maybe trying to see if the Alara works. Obviously, we preach pretty often not to marry your first pick. Um, so yeah, I think Halo Forager is where I'd go. Yep, 
same reasoning exactly. I did take the Halo Forager here, uh, both in that the EV is best if I end up, you know, somehow having like a Salt Eye or something of the sort ramp deck or even just like a five color deck, which is very doable in this format. Uh, or if I wound up just, you know, playing blue black, I definitely want the Forager in my in my board for that. Uh, thinking about the final flourish and even the Aetherblade agent and definitely the Swiftwater Cliffs, uh, I think I wound up with eight dual lands. I took them super highly in the rest of pack one and pack two. Uh, and I think I had one of, I, think, I don't think I had any repeats. Uh, just a note, when you're fixing for these multicolor decks, you tend to want to take the non-green duels if you're trying to go for full five-color access. Uh, because, you know, you can always add more forests. These decks tend to be base green in some way if you're playing like the mana dorks, like the Kami or the Seder. So then you really want the uh, the non-green uh, duels to to maximize your... Uh, <laughs> multicolor potential so uh, yeah i did actually take the forager here and i picked up plenty of other copies of uh, final flourish and spite uh it really you want to prioritize cheap removal with, with decks like this ones that are trying to do super mana like ridiculous five color nonsense because you have to survive to get there right but halo forager doesn't care i mean it's it looks at the ones in your graveyard but it also looks at the ones that your opponent has used already and just getting to, to snipe something like final flourish uh, out of your opponent's graveyard so that it's one less thing to use with like their copy of Halo Forager. I actually did have a, a Forager mirror match where uh, we were seeing just who could resolve ours first to like steal the good kill spells from each other's graveyards. Uh, that opponent had three copies and it was brutal to play against. All right. On to our Teferi Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So Ben, what's up? Not too much. I'm actually going to start with my Tibble. Now, this is, uh, I'm, I'm going to out myself a little bit here, but th- there was some news that dropped this week that really just saddened my heart. Uh, and Bed Bath and Beyond is closing, dude. <laughs> or they're bankrupt. They're going bankrupt. So bankrupt. we don't know for sure what's happening in the future. But man, thoughts on this? <laughs> I mean, so the funny thing is, I saw this news and I was like, "This is news." I was pretty sure Bed Bath and Beyond went bankrupt like a half a decade ago or more. Oh man, I'm pretty sure this is not the first time they've gotten very, very close or have filed bankruptcy. I mean, with deals like they've got, I mean, they're coupons. They don't expire. <laughs> like. They'll take those things three years late and they send them like every week. No, yeah, no wonder they're going out of business. Uh, Bed Bath & Beyond is like the only place I ever shop for for house stuff. Uh, And to be honest, the only towels that I've ever really liked come from there. I'm I'm talking that good Egyptian Wamsada hide thread count, you know, like none of that Turkish cotton nonsense. Get that out of here. I'm, I'm going for like the softest possible towels. Usually I'm a pretty like relaxed household shopper. I don't really... I don't really care too much, but with towels, comfort is everything. And the only place you could ever get those was Bed Bath & Beyond. So I'm screwed now, I guess. (laughs) I actually stopped by the other day and the lines were out the door. It was nuts. It was like a madhouse. I mean, they're practically Uh, giving stuff away. So that makes sense. (laughs) They are quite literally. Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, this is obviously saddening in in the long term. But, you know, in the short term, might even get some some even kookier deals than usual. (laughs) My Teferi this week was that I made some some good bulgogi beef. That's all. <laughs> oh, uh, and the format so is pretty good. good. You are underplaying that way too much. <laughs> Look, the real impactful thing on me this week was was Bed Bath and Beyond. But yeah, no, I I, uh, I got I got some some actual good seasoning from uh, the local Asian market, and you know that's 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 good stuff. Love some good bulgogi, absolutely. Yeah. What's up with you? Uh, my favorite this week is that the format is phenomenal. I'm really enjoying drafting again, which is great because I haven't really enjoyed it so far this year. Um, and I, unfortunately, I did not really give Shadows Remastered um, any effort at all. So that's on me. But <laughs> That one's your um, loss, dude. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's on me. But this format is phenomenal. Really, really enjoying it. I am so thrilled with the whole like bonus sheet thing that they've been doing so much. Like, yeah. One thing I heard LSV talk about was that he thinks when you think back on this set, like three years from now, this won't be a Boonbringer Valkyrie set. Like you're not going to remember that you're going to remember the multiverse legends, which he's not sure is a good thing because you won't really Hmm. remember the new cards from the set. You'll remember the old cards they reprinted interesting in the format, but I love the way they shake things up. I love how wacky you can get your drafts to be with them and how they influence the draft and all these different things. There's just so much going on. Um, a lot of decks feel very playable. It, there's very little like, oh, they played their bomb. I lose the game because everybody's mm-hmm. playing good rares. <laughs> it, like it just feels so good. 
Yeah, I mean, if each of you has like eight to ten rares in your deck, then like it's like, oh, I slam my Boonbringer Valkyrie. I'm like, oh yeah, I final flourish it and then slam Borby and, and Fibblethip. It's like, all right, then I pile on to kill that. It, it feels high powered. It's fun when everyone it is. It's you know, exactly a super, right. A superhero. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing too, because it's like all these cards. A lot of the rares there are very few dud rares. It feels whereas one had yeah. a lot. Or, yeah, one had a lot of dud rares. You know. We were we were talking about like mycosynth lattices and all those stupid like uh, random lands you could open that in the rare slot that just didn't feel good in one. In this format, pretty much all the rares are playable. Some you'll open and think mm, maybe I take the legend multiverse legend over it, or I might take an uncommon rarely here here and there over the rare. Yeah. But most of the rares feel very good, and then the removal is fantastic. So even when opponents play rares, you can deal with them. Yeah, it never feels like the pack you opened was a whiff. I mean, between the multiverse legends and the actual rare and the battle you often get and, you know, whatever transform card you got, there's almost always something to be pretty solidly happy about in, in any pack. And that's just your pack one pick one, right? I love getting past all like more good stuff. Just the, the fun of taking an like a, I don't know, like a white rare or something, pack one pick one. And then you get past another white rare and you're like, Oh yeah, we're we're doing it. <laughs> that that's that's fun to me, right? You know, maybe it's it's for the best that they they loaded all the junk rares into into one. Maybe that was intentional. Maybe some of them were supposed to be in this set, and they said, actually, let's just let's just toss them all in the one place so that uh you know that, that that's kind of just whatever. But this this is your your full course meal. Yeah. Um. My tibble this week though is uh. So I had been watching a lot of Hot Ones interviews. That's classic. Not that's not the Tibble. Hot Ones is fantastic. Um, But I've been watching a lot of Hot Ones interviews lately and it's been making me crave wings. So I texted a friend. I was like, hey, you like wings. I'm craving wings. Let's get some wings. So we went out to this place in in Hackettstown, New Jersey, and they have. Hmm. Yeah, they have wings like they're they're known wing shop, but they have 300 sauces on their menu. (laughs) 300. (laughs) That's, That's nuts. And so we went there and it was great. And we ate, we ate good wings, but I was so ravenous for these wings. I got a bunch of stains on this shirt I was wearing <laughs> and it was like, it was like a $70 t-shirt. Like it was a really expensive shirt. And I'm like really upset that I got stains on. I think I got them all out, but Man. I'm really upset that, that I got stains. On. <laughs> I mean, anything for some good wings, I guess. Yeah. It's the price you pay, you know? All right. On to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Ben. <laughs> and uh, the question is, what's the coolest thing you've seen in mom limited? Tell us, uh, tell us folks, maybe in the random channel or in general, just let us know and uh, give us some new listener questions to answer. Maybe things you're wondering about the set or things on your mind, just anything. We're open to it. Yeah, I will say I'll answer this just because I feel like it. My f- coolest thing I've seen was getting past a Zephyr singer after first picking a Zephyr singer. I went pack one <laughs> Zephyr singer, got past the pack and took a pick two Zephyr singer. And I was like, this draft is off to a good start. You're telling me it wasn't the time you had two city on fires. That's a close second. I never got to play both of them, which is the problem. Like if I ever got two of them out at the same time, that would have been the coolest thing I've seen. All right. On to our main topic. And of course, this is our first impression show. We've kind of already gotten into our first impressions a little bit here with the with the uh, Kraken draft thing. But let's jump into it. I mean, you've heard from both of us. This format is fantastic. We love it. We're going to dive into a bunch of the different things that we've experienced in the format so far. Some things we're hoping to see still. And yeah, overall, first impressions on the on the format. So Ben, what's up? How, how are you liking it? I am loving it. This is a breath of fresh air. I am excited to crack packs at any opportunity uh, and just to, to fire draft after draft. That That's about as great a sign as, as you can get for a format like this. Uh, I will say it's one of the maybe the biggest feeling formats we've had in a while. Obviously, it's the culmination of the story arc. So it's appropriately large and, and uh, bombastic and splashy, but uh, it feels like anything can happen. I mean, you could get turn one Ragavant. Or your opponent could slam an Elish Norn or an Elish Norn Grand Cenobite or I don't know, just like the fact that I don't even know all the all the bomb rares in this set. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I've seen all the cards on Multiverse Legends sheet, but sometimes you see like, oh, like Scytherix, like that's in this set? What? Uh, the, the ones that you don't see quite as often, they really lead to a just a fresh sense of gameplay. Speaking of which, the gameplay is is very fun. Uh, it's swingy. It's not too fast. You don't die if you don't play something on turn one or turn two. Uh, and the swinginess of the gameplay, I think, is maybe one of the biggest features of the format. I do say feature, not bug, because I think uh, remember back when they were doing, you know, like 
in-person coverage of, of magic uh, tournament events. There used to be a, uh, it, it was like a, uh, like a swing bar. What, what do they call it? Like a, Oh, the advantage meter. Yeah, that's right. The advantage meter. They would have this meter that was pointing. It was like an arrow. It's like a vector that was pointing to, uh, you know, who had the bigger advantage. And I picture in this set, it would just be swinging back and forth like every turn. This would be a very fun set to commentate, I bet, uh, because with the way some of the cards are designed in this set specifically, they are conducive to these big back and forth swings in advantage. Uh, it might look like one person has the advantage and then all of a sudden the other person has the advantage, but then the other person has it and it's back and forth. And this can lead to some very close games, um, including going to decking, including looping cards to put back into your deck, uh, winning by milling your opponent out or you mill your opponent out, but then they bounce the card that they got back, back to their hands. And uh, there's all sorts of wacky stuff you can do. What are your initial thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I'll echo everything you said. I think it, I agree with the swinginess. It feels kind of fun that way. Like you, you feel like you're firmly in the driver's seat and then your opponent plays something you're like, Oh wait, this is a game again. And yeah, uh, it feels like that in the best of ways. I think in some sets we get that where the, your opponent plays a bomb and you're like, well, I've been, I've been controlling this game, but now I just lose because they played this card. That's totally undealable uh, or mm -hmm. I can't deal with. So it's not quite that level. I think it does feel very good that there can be a back and forth and, and you're, you can't really ever just totally count your opponent out because you never know what they're going to come up with and the bonus sheet does help with that a lot because agreed uh even though we've seen all the cards on paper like we can look at the bonus sheet and see all the cards it's it's just there are so many cards that are relevant that it's difficult to memorize them all and remember like well they've got three mana up in these specific colors so they could have any of these cards that gets really difficult to do with all these extra legends floating around that you can just kind of splash and it's also very easy to splash in this format yeah. So there's a whole lot going on. And a lot of times I find myself just like, whatever, they can have whatever they want. I'm playing <laughs> with this sort of mentality. And, uh, and it's been really fun. And I also just think that it's, it's a cool, because you mentioned it's one of the biggest feeling formats, which I think, you know, a lot of us saw that in the cards that were getting revealed. You know, we have these big, like these big, uh, land cyclers that are six plus mana. Um, there are tons of big expensive cards in this format. We kind of were hoping, or at least, uh, I was kind of a, I don't know if I would say I was expecting it to be a big format, but I was really hoping that it would support all these big bombs and it does. And it, that's great. And I think that's fun. But at the same time, it also supports these lower to the ground aggressive decks as well. I've had some yeah. really fun games and really good successful games with uh, the blue white Knights decks or even a Jeskai variation of that. So I'm, I, I think this covers all sorts of grounds and you've got room to do just about whatever you want. If I had to describe what decks feel like in this format, it sometimes feels like you have a deck of like 17 lands and 23 ravenous chupacabras with haste. That's like kind of <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it feels like playing, right? Because of just like the this back and forth, like you kill their best thing, they kill your best thing, you get your best thing back, they bounce your best thing, they counter on the next time, like they attack a battle. They get the thing back. You kill their battle with your battle. Like it's, it's, it's fun. Yep. Oh, that yeah, being totally. said, it is skill intensive in a different way than we're used to this swingy back and forth. I wouldn't fault someone if it wasn't their thing. You know, it, it's, it's unique. We don't see things like this all the time. Uh, and I have found myself making more mistakes than usual just because there are so many choices to make. Uh, sometimes I feel as though my decks could be piloted slightly better than I have been piloting them, which is, you know, a result of super, you know, varied cards and, and legends and this whole new card type we're trying to analyze. Uh, but to be honest, that's a feeling that I usually only get while playing Vintage Cube. Uh, but this is like maybe the only standard legal set that I've ever felt as though I could have been you know, significantly better in my gameplay. I mean, obviously it's still new in the format, but there have been things where I've, I've actually been thinking, oh, I should have played that differently. Just like a turn later. Oh yeah. I've come up against this too. The ironic piece for me is that, um, I don't know. I, it, part of, you know, I mentioned earlier in my Tibble or my Teferi even that, um, you know, for the first part of this year, really, I hadn't been like all that into drafting. I kind of ignored bro even, um, and prior to that, even in the formats that I was really enjoying, my win rate was fairly low. I was averaging like a 51% win rate, something around there. This format, I'm up to a 60% win rate. So I'm like, nice. In, I'm kind of surprised to see that like a more skill intensive, more option oriented, more uh, choice heavy format is one that I'm doing really well in. I guess, you know, every so often you hit a format that just clicks for you and, and that works. But 
Um, I do really love that there are so many choices here because it also in some ways feels that your mistakes don't matter as much. Like you can afford to make a mistake here or there because your opponents are probably doing the same. And you, you can kind of have this little back and forth even in in from an optimization perspective on your gameplay that works. But I totally agree. There are definitely formats, uh, sorry, definitely games that I've come out of and been like, wow, I should have played that turn differently. Like that was a pivotal turn and it like I made some nuanced decision that should have been made a different way and I would have won that game. Mm-hmm. And we're not just saying this in hindsight, you know, because there are a lot of things that can change between turns. I, I think we're saying this in a genuinely analytical way, uh, but just off the top of our heads here, transform battles, activating incubate tokens, uh, convoking things on end step, haste, uh, even all of these can really drastically change the board from the time you pass at your end step to your next turn. Like there are so many things that can affect, you know, what the board state looks like as opposed to like a, I don't know, sorcery speed battle cruiser type. I slam my four drop. You slam your four drop. I slam my five drop. You slam your five drop. Like uh, you really need to be considering what your opponent's vector is trying to do, where they're, leading up to because decks tend to be leading up to something in this format whether it's a bomb or a big convoke spell that refills their hand or or something decks have good things to do so you should be thinking about what it is you're trying to do and what it is your opponent's vector is trying to do don't just like play like you're gold fishing uh because that that's where i think i've made some of my mistakes, uh, they've been in, oh, I failed to consider that my opponent could have had X or that my opponent uh, was signaling that they had Y. Yeah, and I'll tell you another sort of example where gameplay can be so nuanced. I had a, a game going where I was playing against a, an opponent who had um, a handful of very big creatures. They had like a 7-7 seven, seven Phyrexian token with Reach. They had uh, two of the the Swamp Cyclers with Menace that had Mm -hmm. had tokens put on them. So they were massive. I think one was a six, six and one was a seven, seven. They also had uh, one of the one, one Thopter tokens. I had a board that was getting me very close to winning. I think I had maybe one or two attacks that would have let me either win or kept back for blocks to stabilize and actually get into a position where I could, I I was on the back foot, but um, one of the key creatures I had was a furnace gremlin, which is the Mm -hmm. two drop one, two that you can give smoke breathing or whatever we call it. uh, (laughs) One in a red to give it plus one plus. Oh, And then when it dies, you incubate X where X is its power. Now my Mm. opponent, I had a a board that was okay. It was, it was looking all right, but in my hand I had the tagline uh, or the skyline thing that, you know, the, the tangled skyline that makes a, an incubate creature. Right. And um, a couple of other, I had the, the, the four drop that makes the four drop where you incubate X twice where X is the number of lands you have. Oh, the, the green rare, that one's been putting up good numbers. Right. Yeah. So I was going to put, a ton of incubate creatures in front of their, like these big incubate creatures. I had six mana. I was hoping to top deck a land, cast that, get two seven sevens and be able to block their creatures effectively. And then I would have had a board where I could have moved very, very nicely. But what I was hoping for was my furnace gremlin to trade into an incubate creature. So I would have another blocker. Here's where things get crazy. My opponent casts a final flourish on my furnace gremlin, making it small enough such that when it died, the incubate token had no counters on it. So if I flipped it, it would have just been a zero, zero. It just dies. The next turn, they use a deadly derision on one of my other creatures, which tells Uh me they did that on purpose. They may have top decked the deadly derision. I'm not sure, but there's a, there's a clear choice there. They could have deadly derision my furnace gremlin and killed it and then use the final flourish on a different creature. Right. Yeah. But the way they played that gave me, made it so that I had one too few blockers to stop them from executing their game plan. Hmm. Wow. Just a a hyper complex format. (laughs) Yeah, and I love it. It's great. Which even kind of translates into the draft portion of the format because you alluded to this earlier, Ben. This is kind of the closest thing to a, a standard cube we've ever had. Like this set feels like a cube. Yeah, yeah, in both gameplay and the draft. And that means when every card in the pack is relatively good, which the commons are solid, the uncommons are solid, the rares are obviously great. Uh, when every card is good, you got to make sure you're actually alive and able to cast those cards. So I hate to say it, but you got to make the hard picks. That means taking cheap removal and fixing over that, you know, risky double or triple pips card that you're thinking you might be able to play, but you might not be able to play. Uh, I can play, I can play it personally. You'll see me post trophy decks with ones with splashing triple pipped. I splashed the, the dragon broodlord <laughs> at one point. <laughs> But uh, all right, but that's a ridiculous bomb. You cast that card, you just win the game more or less. So 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, I I did also splash an Itali and a Kogla in a in a blue green deck. That maybe wasn't the best either. But um, treat it like a cube. You got to take fixing. You got to take those lands, and uh, you shouldn't pass Skittering Surveyor. If you're even if you're playing two colors, you should still play Skittering Surveyor. It convokes. You can sacrifice the body. You can shunt block with it in in like dire situations, which actually comes up more often given that people are trying to attack battles and get these wacky backsides that do cool things uh just having a body and a card and fixing and a land it's so good uh i still see them going pretty late though yeah definitely undervalued now another note about the format i feel like i very rarely play against the same vector twice i also feel like i very rarely draft the same vector twice i know there's entire decks that i haven't really played (laughs) yet in this format or ones that i've only played a handful of times and I'm, i'm a bunch of drafts in the only thing that I have seen repetitively, uh, maybe there's this like four to five color ramp deck. I've seen this one. It almost reminds me of the Kaldheim versions or the, the Neo versions where these big mana, like ramping, fixing decks. Another one that I've seen with some consistency is Blue Black, which I think is the early standout for best deck in the format. Uh, the commons and uncommons are all really overperforming and the black rares are all just fantastic. Oh yeah, you pick up any of the black rares and you just feel like you're miles ahead of basically anybody. But I will say one of the things that I think this is where vector theory really shines is that this is not a colored archetype set where mm. you can draft a blue white deck and blue white's probably the worst example I could give you here, but it even still works. You could draft a blue white deck that is built around say like a Marshal of Zalfir and yeah. really just go doing thing and going wide with knights and and being aggressive but then you could have a different blue white deck that's focused more on something like a vertex paladin and just tempo bouncing your opponent's stuff kind of getting this whole uh sort of flyers theme going and Mm -hmm. well two two relatively different vectors and that's just one two color pair that i'm talking about one example but this is all over the place and this is a format that supports five colors so you can have these random rares you open that totally drives the vector direction of your deck so Two color decks, like two two decks of the same colors, might be wildly different decks, which is great. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I could I could name a couple more. You could have a Raf deck in Blue White, right? You pick up a couple yep. copies of Raf early, and then you actually do want those cheap cantrips uh, and and going wild with creatures, things that make two creatures. Then you're convoking stuff, um, or maybe you open up a pack one pick one Sunfall, and and you go for a more like controlling a vector, right? So uh, just re- really cool stuff in this set. Now, the best cards in this set are very good, but as we mentioned earlier, everyone has these very good cards, and even decks without bombs can still perform very well. This kind of brings up the topic of Prince versus Pauper. I don't know if we ever really nailed down a good definition of Prince versus Pauper. I guess it's in which is more impactful. This might just not be either of those. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're somewhere in the middle, like an artisan, maybe. (laughs) It's like somewhere in the middle of of Prince and Pauper, because the... The popper cards, right, which are traditionally commons and I guess uncommons as well, even though not not in the format sense, but in the way we talk about it with this comparison. Popper cards are usually like the meh cards of the format when you compare them to rares. I think most people typically use Prince versus Popper to describe a set where the rares are more impactful in general than the rest of the cards combined, right? So like really, really rare heavy set. You need good rares to, to do well. This is not that, but the the commons and uncommons are also at the level or they feel as though they're at the level of some rares in prior sets. So, eh, yeah, somewhere in the middle. I mean, it just feels like you're having fun no matter what. So I don't know if it's even worth giving a delegation. Yeah. Now, to get into some specifics about the actual rares in the set, the best cards in the set are very strong. And so far, it seems eh, I think we're all in agreement data wise that the best card in the set is Sunfall. Uh, there's some others that are up there with it. Uh, just sorting by either games drawn win rate or uh, even games in hand win rate. Uh, it's looking like Sunfall's up at the top. Elish Norn Grand Cenobite is up there too. Uh, here's probably where I should mention that I did actually beat an Elish Norn Grand Cenobite by slamming Yargle and Multani. They couldn't attack into it because it was a 16-4. <laughs> and then I won the game uh, by attacking with, uh, I don't know, some dorky flyer. But I've been a Chrome Host Seed Shark, and that card's up there too. Uh, that's the 3-mana 2-4 flyer. It, it's pretty high in the top five or six of the game in hand and games drawn win rate. Uh, and there's some other ones that you'd expect up there. There's the the Praetors, there's uh, Vorinclex, Shieldred, Boonbringer Valkyrie, the Baneslayer Angel. No, no surprises here. Uh, there's a couple cards that do feel like cast them and win the game. Breach the Multiverse and Itali, uh, 
Primal Conqueror are, are the two that, that really stand out to me. There's also some sleeper ones. Uh, Glissa, Herald of Predation, was one that I might not have expected to see in the top so 10. So good. Really, really strong. Just an army in a can. Uh, and it sounds like you already got some experience with Zephyr Singer, right? Sure did. That card is is like, I mean, it reads really well. Like, you, you know, when you read it, you're like, yeah, wow, this is a good card. When you play with that thing, though, you feel so good. I mean, it's it's a weird situation where you almost don't want to play it with only four other creatures out. Because if you're not familiar with Zephyr Singer, you can convoke it. It's a flyer with vigilance. But when you convoke it, every creature that convokes it gets a flying counter. So it, it just jumps your board permanently, which is phenomenal. Uh, there is a weird sort of thing you need to do. You need to kind of dance around with that card is that to get it out fast, you probably want like cards like Ral's reinforcements and stuff, but then you don't really care about putting a flying counter on a one, one. So mm, there's like yeah. this balance where you want to actually have relevant creatures that are going to do important things uh, that you want to jump. I've also had some awkward interactions where like my turn three play was uh, uh, the, the Xerox strobe Knight, and that already has flying. So it's oh, kind of yeah. weird to convoke it out with that. In any case, you have this weird thing where you want to have certain creatures to, to convoke with it, but then you jump your whole board and you're just like, how do I lose from here? Like, <laughs> yeah, you do. I mean, it's bad. It is a little bad when you're really behind because, uh, or if you're at a stalemate, because if you have to tap your whole board, that opens your opponent up to attacks, but they basically die on the crackback. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just there's some strategic play with that one too. I've seen some touting Sunfall as maybe a potential entry to the best limited cards of all time. Currently, it has a 69% game in hand win rate on, on 17 lands, which is pretty good. But is it super busted? I mean, compared to DMU, uh, which has a similar vector texture to this set. It had like the red white deck as like the aggro stuff uh, with white really spearheading that vector. And then these big multicolored domain decks uh, in which Shieldred had a 74.4 game in hand win rate. Mythic, yes, but, you know, I mean, Archangel of Wrath was was just about that, too, with like a 72 percenter or something. Uh, so higher than Sunfall. I mean, r- right now, Sunfall is doing the same numbers as about Herd Migration. Uh, that was like the seven mana card you could pitch to get a basic or make a bunch of beasts, uh, th- which was also around 69 percent. I mean, Herd Migration was a very strong card, but it wasn't one of the best limited cards of all time. Just maybe one of the best ones in the set. Uh, so looking just at the relative balance between cards and colors and rares right now seems pretty good to me. It's balanced and it's fun. And that's right where you want to land. Yeah. So let's highlight some of the mechanics that we've gone through. Um, obviously, there are a handful of new ones, some sort of recurring. Um, but yeah, let's just kind of walk through these. So Convoke up front, uh, really awesome car, uh, mechanic for this set. I mean, obviously, if you've got a bunch of Convoke cards, you want to prioritize relatively cheap creatures, cut expensive cards that aren't bombs, then don't have Convoke and just kind of watch your deck were like I, I drafted Ben alluded to earlier. I drafted a deck with two city on fire and it was kind of a splash. It was really a Jeskai deck that was mostly blue white and it just worked wonders like that. It's <laughs> so much nuts. easier to convoke expensive spells out than it seems like those are not eight drops. They're really like four or five drops. Uh, turns out expensive cards that turn all your <laughs> creatures into land or elves. It's actually a pretty good little combo there. <laughs> yeah. And actually there's, um, which one is it? I can't remember the, the name of the full card, but the, the legend with Essica, Ingrid and Essica. Or I, I oh, oh, it, yeah, yeah. Ingrid and Essica or uh, something like that. That one turns all of your creatures into literal Land of War Elves. Like they can tap. Actually, I think they're even better. They can tap for any color. They're like birds of they're, paradise. They're, yeah, they're, they're and I've, I've played that. I've played that and thought to myself, man, this is just worse than the card that gives all your stuff to vote. <laughs> <laughs> like it just is. Yeah, no, I, I also had a, a good time with uh, Inga and Essica in one of my drafts. Funny enough, one of my opponents put a, uh, what is it, Realm Breaker's Grasp on one of my creatures to shut off all of its abilities, except it says non-mana abilities, so I still got to use it just as a land. <laughs> uh, but anyway, creatures that make multiple bodies are really good for Convoke. Uh, Preening Champion, it's doing numbers. It's doing uh, Inspiring Overseer numbers, actually. It's got a 62.3% game in hand win rate, uh, which is on par with cards like Archangel Elspeth, Pylon, Kogla, and Yodaro. These are like a a level cards right uh premium champion you can take at about a level it's currently the 21st best card in the set by game and hand win rate so uh, just keep that in mind i mean that's it's a common you can get many of these that two two body is just a solid flyer uh making that one one is great for both convoking and jumping and attacking and trading with one one death touches and things like that uh, but honestly just good value especially maybe bouncing it or getting back from the graveyard to chipping away at battles. This card just does everything you want a card in the set to do. Uh, And 
again, you make two bodies in important colors for Convoke. I think the fact that that token is blue and red is pretty key too. Definitely. Yeah, and I would also say, I mean, flyers in this format are just super valuable. So the fact that it's a 2-2 flyer is a big deal. And uh, pumping out that extra creature that's going to Convoke your stuff out on the next turn is nothing to scoff at. And plus, like, what's your opponent going to do? Kill the three mana 2-2 flyer that ETB'd to make a token with, like, a good kill spell? No, you'd hope to somehow establish a, a board presence or trade off with it and, or with your own flyer. By that point, it's usually too late. You've usually already gotten to have convoked your thing. And I mean, what are they going to do? They can't kill both of them. The only way to really stop this thing is to counter it. It's just such a good little value package. Uh, w- w- definitely a standout. I don't know about a draft shaft hero, but between that and that, uh, the Halo Forager, we've got some top contenders. Another cool mechanic in this set, transform. Uh, these these Frexian flip cards, pretty balanced. I have no issues with it. Uh, nothing busted. I found all the uh, the Frexian flip costs are appropriately costed. I feel like I probably pay the mana like thirty percent, twenty percent of the time. But you're almost always paying the Frexian life. And uh, it really does work with the back and forth swingy nature of the set. Again, another reason to cut your four and five drops that don't have any you know bombiness to them or convoke. Uh, I've been playing the the two drop Thalid uncommon and the the, the one one rogue death toucher a lot. The other ones are all pretty good too. I will say I think front runner for my favorite card in the set so far, or maybe I should say favorite common in the set is Order of the Mirror. Though I hate the name, that doesn't make any sense to me for a creature. But just going turn two, mm. Order of the Mirror, turn three, flip it, attack into their three three is just gorgeous. It's one of my favorite things to do in this format. It kind of feels like inverse kicker. Right. Uh, It makes top decking your two drop not (laughs) that bad. It means that there's very few dead draws in the late game. Like almost everything does something in the late game. Uh, It even makes your lands hurt a little more (laughs) when you do draw them. So uh, it's definitely a divination format. I actually even played an invasion of Chandelar in one of my really big decks. That's the uh, the five mana mythic uh, battle that gets back three permanents from your graveyard, flips into a uh, like an Oath of Druids thing. Uh, it, it was solid, just as a triple raise that effect. Uh, oh, and another note about paying the life for transforming. It's kind of offset by the gain lands. I feel like most decks have two or three gain lands in them anyway. So if you pay life once or twice, it's it's whatever. Uh, the time by the time it matters, by the time you've paid the life. The board is usually pretty well established and balanced out anyway. I don't think I've really seen it matter significantly, but it's not like it's a hyper aggro format like we were thinking about in the, uh, the initial format breakdown, uh, worrying that maybe if, if this was like two ships passing the night and uh, both players were just smacking each other's face, then paying life could be a liability. It's not. I haven't really seen that come up. Uh, that being said, I don't know if it's correct to include a splash gain land to activate those activated abilities yet maybe uh maybe the, the jury's still out on that one gotta do a little more data a little more splashy research yeah my inclination is to say it's not worth that but let's move on to incubate incubate is uh another of the new mechanics in this format and um yeah it's i mean it's, it's just good right like it, it doesn't feel like overpowered i will say some of the uh enchantments that etb to incubate things feel very good um the tangled mm-hmm. skyline and the the white one which i can never remember the name of seem pretty solid mm-hmm. um corruption of tawashi is also quite good so yeah a lot of those enchantments are quite nice um my biggest complaint or or worry about these cards the incubate if mechanic in general going into the format was is it too slow mm. is it going to be really awkward to have a card that kind of sort of makes a creature but then you've got to pump two more mana into to actually make it a creature the answer is yes yeah, sometimes I found in my experience that like sometimes it is just too slow. You would have much rather had that be a, an actual creature than like an, a spell that had an effect that delayed getting your creature out. Yeah. But overall, it's a nice little thing to tack onto a bunch of extra cards. There are some cards like uh, the two, two f- for three that f- had with flying um, that can make flipping your, your tokens a little bit easier. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, uh, yeah, just a fun mechanic. I don't think it's one that is, it's one that's impactful in the format, but not one that's like overbearing or anything like that. Yeah, I agree. It works well with the plus one, plus one counters stuff. Uh, like Norns Inquisitors is a pretty great combo with some of these. It, it takes a little bit of setup, yeah. But this vector is good once it gets going. Uh, the thing that I've seen, I guess the time that I've seen these be at their worst is uh, when they're off vector, right? If your opponent's playing like a like a green-white deck and they don't have a lot of other a lot of the things that do this and they make something that incubates and then you're playing a blue deck, you just bounce the token or your creatures are bigger than it. I haven't seen that be super impressive, but if you're in the vector for it, they're great. Uh, 
I, I also did undervalue Blue's bounce spells. As far as Dispersal, Temporal Cleansing, these both line up really well against both the Transform cards and these Incubator tokens. Uh, also, I didn't know that Cleansing was a sorcery uh, until I passed the turn and didn't understand why I couldn't Cleansing my opponent's attacker. <laughs> so it's still removal, though. It's still fine. Yeah, I will say there is a really solid little, and that Jeskai deck I had referred to earlier with the City on Fire is, is sort of that, but there is um there is some serious room for a blue-white tempo deck in this format. Between mm-hmm. the Afaras Dispersals, the Temporal Cleansings, uh, those, the four-mana knight that makes an extra knight that like lets you have extra stuff to convoke oh, with, yeah. there are a lot of ways to make a nice little, uh, nice little tempo deck in this format, which I absolutely love. And last year, Battles. Honestly, I think I'm going to save most of my thoughts because I think we got to have a whole episode, just deep dive into these. Uh, but I'm a big fan so far. They do add a big bump in board complexity. You just add layers of choices and thus fun. Uh, here's a, a little thought experiment I'll leave the, the listener with. Your opponent is at two. They have two things that are chump blockers, like the, the uh, Icker Drinker or some little Incubate Flip tokens. They're at two. They have two chump blockers. You have a 5-5, five, five, and you have a battle at four defense. Do you attack them or the battle? This is a genuine question. This came up for me <laughs> over the weekend, and I had oh, to think about to this. Or do you want the, I mean, you, you can. I, I kind of, I mean, I have a feeling I know your answer, but I, I'd say let's let the listener chime in first. Maybe we, we'll we'll share our right. answers on uh, on the next episode. But this is, a, I mean, it's, it's a, a high-complexity format, and battles add to that, and I'm looking forward to seeing what else battles do in the future. Yeah, we'll definitely have a full episode on battles, our thoughts on them, even potentially a tier list for the battles in this format next week on our episode then. Let's close out with a couple of really cool things we've seen. What, what, what What's your highlights so far for this format? All right, a quick little highlight reel. Uh, I did cast Invasion of Alara, and I flipped it, and I did have the just ultimate satisfaction of an opponent that was screwed on mana. They had like five planes and a swamp, and clearly a bunch of like double pipped or black cards in hand because they just weren't casting anything. I got to flip Invasion of Alara, and that destroy target permanent, it doesn't say non-land, so you know I nuked that swamp. <laughs> uh, a couple times I was playing in a, a match against kind of a mirror deck, more five-color good stuff. An opponent that actually had the uh, Invasion of New Phyrexia, the, the big X blue white make X knights spell. So good. Super busted. Uh, but I knew that was in my opponent's deck. So they had like a Blighted Burgeoning, the, uh, the enchant land that makes a tap for multiple. I just blew up the land that, that had that on it to make their potential big X spells worse. Uh, I've also cast Niv-Mizzet. I think I only hit one thing off of it, but, you know, you, you can cast that too. Uh, definitely doable if you take cards like Blighted Burgeoning, Invasion of Zendikar, uh, Kami of Whispered Hopes. Uh, take these uh, multicolor fixers highly. Uh, oh, Skittering Surveyor. Duh. The, the most important one of all. Halo Forager. Very strong. Looks like a potential Draft Chaff hero. Maybe a potential Draft Chaff cube inclusion. Uh, I had a pretty funny... <laughs> backup deck. Uh, this was one of the drafts where I had no bombs. I had nothing good at all. Not even one of the good backup ones. But you know what I did have? Four mirror shield hoplites. That's the red white uncommon, the, the vector uncommon that says whenever you have a backup ability, you copy it. I had that and then just a bunch of junky three mana backup cards and a couple copies of scroll shift. I had <laughs> I had a dream. I ended up going six three with it. Uh, but so close. Uh, I, I also had a Jeskai Jeruin Hazard Legends Tribal. You can hit Legends off Jeruin Hazard. Very doable. Maybe my, one of my favorite decks in the format so far. I first picked an Ezri deck. Ezri is the one that cares about having two or less power creatures enter the battlefield. I think I took a Tetsuko Umazawa like soon after that. And I was like, okay, we're doing like a one power counters tribal. I ended up picking two copies of the Shattered Ozolith uh, or Sorry, I had one copy. I actually passed another copy in favor of uh, some other green thing, I think. Uh, and I had to double Kami of Whispered Hopes and a couple copies of the, uh, what is it? Not the Overrun, but the two green green put four counters on your stuff. So I had this really interesting like blue-green hardened scales counters deck with a bunch of flyers and a bunch of ways to grow my stuff. Uh, very, very fun deck to play. I already shouted out beating Elish Norn Grand Cenobite with Yargol Maltani, which is just such a flavor. It's just utter nonsense. Uh, and maybe the coolest thing that I did this format, I had this black red deck where I first picked Kroxa and just had, I probably had like 10 rares in this deck. Invasion of Karsis and I had Judith Scourge Diva, I think it is. Uh, just a ridiculous black red deck. But the best part of the black red deck was Squee. 
Squee, as in one red, red, two, one, you can cast him from graveyard or exile. So he was infinite sacrifice fodder. In these late games, once I built out a stable board, I actually drained an opponent out. I started activating when they were at 12, and they eventually just scooped to it. But I just looped Squee with Dreg Recycler, the two mana 2-2 two, two that you can tap to drain for one and sacrifice a creature. Uh, I just looped Squee over and over again, cast him every turn. You can do that with Stormclaw Rager. That's right. That's the black red uncommon, uh, where you uh, sack a thing to draw a card and put a counter on it. I looped Squee with that thing, too. Maybe the funniest thing I did was I used Squee to help uh, escape a Kroxa, and then I got to recast Squee from Exile after it had already gone to the graveyard. Just really, really goofy stuff. That's great. Yeah, I think I highlighted most of my like big uh, fun things. The double Zephyr Singer draft was really fun. City double City on Fire draft was fantastic. Um, I think probably my biggest highlight in the format so far was actually in sealed for the midweek Magic Phantom mm. sealed, uh, where I opened just a ton of really awesome rares. And then I had a game where I got to cast, I, I basically cast uh, some random blue um, unsummon effect. Mm. Bounce the thing to, to my opponent's hand. Then cast Invasion of New Phyrexia for X equals four. Immediately flipped it and gave got the emblem <laughs> from Teferi. <laughs> All in one it's turn. So, so I had four, so three, on, three, three, two knights. And my opponent just couldn't do anything about it. That deck also had a tally in it, but I never got to cast it. It was the fastest 3-0 in Jeez. my life. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I'm hoping for luck like this at the open this weekend. Uh, good luck to people out there playing in the opens and RCQs this weekend. Wish I could make the RCQ. It's, it's at our local store, but I've got plans that six that night and uh, knowing how the RCQs tend to go, it's going to go till very, very late. So uh, hoping to spike the open instead. Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already in the Discord, definitely jump in there and check it out. We would love to have you. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Again, huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. And you can find us on Twitter at draftchaffpod. Thanks, folks. Catch you next week. Okay, so I've got a bit of a weird one for our sign-off today. You may have heard that there were some March of the Machine aftermath leaks. Did you hear about this? I have, yeah, and actually, uh, if you check out the uh, the whole spoilers channel, you'll find uh, some pictures of those. Yeah, leaks are a complicated topic, especially for content creators. On one hand, you can't put the mayo back in the tube, <laughs> but uh, you put your mayo, you get your mayo out of a tube. It's Kewpie mayo. Yeah, it's high quality. <laughs> oh, all right, yeah, all right. We're doing we're doing Kewpie. Yeah, all right, we're good. <laughs> you can't put the Kewpie mayo back in the Kewpie mayo bottle. We'll, we'll say. Um, they're magic cards they're out there i find it impossible to resist looking at a new magic card if given the opportunity and honestly these are some pretty interesting cards the downside is that you know we don't want to take away the hype from content creators that would otherwise get the boost from maybe getting the spoilers for the first time um it's you know it, it, it's a multifaceted thing i don't really feel like getting into the ethics of it but uh what is strange is that a certain content creator uh was able to buy a bunch of aftermath it seems like it was a mistake. I think they might have put out a new video, uh, but this content creator who goes by old school MTG on YouTube uh, just uh, was able to buy a bunch of Aftermath stuff and just cracked it all on camera and posted it on YouTube. It seems like it was a mistake by the local game store. And then the content creator was just like, all right, may as well crack these since we got them. Uh, but through that, we got pretty much a full spoiler <laughs> because the set's only like 50 cards. Um, I don't know. You're welcome to check out the spoiler channel if you want to see some of them, but uh, there's some interesting stuff coming up. I think we'll maybe wait till it's a little closer to get more into it. That being said, the fallout from this has been bizarre. Uh, I'm not sure if I have the full story, but I was reading an article on this earlier today. It sounds like uh, after this, this content creator posted the cards online, um, Watsi tried reaching out to the content creator, but there was some sort of disconnect, either didn't get the message or didn't respond or something else. But what's a little disconcerting is that Watsi hired this uh, this firm, uh, the Pinkertons. And this is like a, a very like uh, infamous uh, firm. They're like a, a detective agency, I think, or some sort of investigative agency. Uh, but they've been controversial in the past because they're usually brought into union bust, which is, eh, I'd say, not a cool thing. We, we don't really like union busters. Um, not, not, not a cool thing to do. But they've also been known to be hired by Amazon to like spy on overseas clientele and uh, just some generally, you know, not best for the worker practices. Um, also intimidation, things like that. Uh, and uh, apparently, according to one article that I, that I was reading up on, I think it was this 
this Kotaku article that, that it has. Um, wild. So apparently some agents from this Pinkerton agency showed up at this guy's door <laughs> and uh, um, just came to kind of intimidate him to give the cards back to Watsi. So I don't know. I guess that's is that a, is that a thing? Like, can you imagine being a magic player and having like detectives show up at your door being like, hey, what's going on here? Yeah, that's a bit strange. And then they they wanted them him they wanted the the creator to give back the cards. Yeah, that I just found a quote weird, here. Given that he already posted video footage of them, unless Watsi was somehow able to get like a I don't know like a DCA or something on the video and get it taken down. Here's well, a it's quote. On the internet, it's um, out there, man. Yeah, that's true. Here's a quote from the content creator who uh, looks like their name is Dan Cannon. It says uh, they also said if I didn't hand over the product, they would call the county sheriff and detain us until they arrived to arrest us and search the house for product that they would most likely force us to show receipts for and every magic card in the house, which is apparently, according to this content creator, over a million cards. Um, th- th- this just seems a little jumping the sky shark, <laughs> you know, like th- this yeah. is a little much. Yeah. Either way. I mean, it's um, internet news, so it's very difficult to tell what's real and what's not, but yeah. In this case, uh, probably best to just, you know, keep an eye on what this content creator posts and, and says, um, get some good firsthand accounts and uh, hopefully Watsi, you know, veers away from, uh, I don't know, hiring people to come <laughs> investigate. It, it, I don't know. It feels like there could have been a better way to handle this, but uh, curious to hear what the listeners have to say about this in Discord too. 